Welcome to the Avenue Community Church's podcast. We are a family of Christ followers seeking shalom in Memphis. We pray that you are encouraged by today's message. And as you listen, may the word of God shape you to be more like him. Uh, God is good. Hey, if you are new to the Avenue once again, hello. Um, If you are um, an Avenger, if you are a covenant member here at the Avenue, if you've been through any of our classes, uh, then you would, you would kind of know that we are a family of Christ followers seeking shalom where? In Memphis, specifically on which avenue? There's a lot of avenues, but we seeking it most intensely on Summer Avenue, right? Um, and so uh, I, I always go back probably every, every, every first of the year when we or summertime when we start doing core values and, and getting the new marching orders. I, I, I always go back, I'm looking at Kristen and Jeremy and, them, uh, and Gil and them. The first day when I um, kind of unveiled the logo and uh, we, were <laughs> we were trying to choose between like eight different variations of the logo and they were like, is that a crab? Is that SpongeBob? You know, it's a whole lot of different things going on. Um, and so um, what you need to know is, um, that is a dove, and that dove absolutely represents uh, shalom. Uh, shalom is a big word here at the Ave, and I don't think that we could do enough, um, or it's, I don't think it's possible to over-exaggerate or exhaust um, and waste our time unpacking for you what it means and what it specifically means for us in this context. Um, once again, I, we don't have the PowerPoint, but we got these little sheets of paper. If you don't have one and you want one, um, because I can chase a whole lot of rabbit trails and I can get really lost in all the things I do. So if you want some of these things, key points or whatever I got going on, we got some left and and I, uh, yeah, Thea says she might send it out too, and a couple people have electronic copies, so don't be shamed. Just, just say, hey, can I get one of them? Can I get one of those? We, we're family. We're family of Christ followers. Seeking Shalom in Memphis. Um, so, um, what is Shalom? Um, I fell in love with it first, sitting with Dan, Dan Burns and Catherine Burns in the house. They are, they are grandparents. Um, that is who coached your pastor in planting this church. So we are forever grateful and indebted. They're here uh, visiting with us because they're on the mission field and they're one of the sweet people we're praying for uh, and always in love with. Um, I fell in love with this word when I came from Mobile, Alabama, sitting in rooms with Sandy and, and Dan. Um, and there's this thing called the Shalom Project. And we were trying to figure out how to bring a gospel-centered, relevant uh, um, community outward focused church to every neighborhood zone in Memphis um, and uh, it's over 170 plus and we're just going to figure out man how are we going to plant these churches and essentially this is how our church got uh, started because it was like ooh we need a church there and I was like ooh I love that neighborhood and I kept trying to push that vision off on people like man you need to plant a church in the heights it's prime it's ready and then all of a sudden I realized oh God wasn't giving me the vision to give to somebody else that he was giving me the vision to be the vision and so praise the Lord that's kind of part of how we got here Uh, but the thing that I love most when we were first encountering the word shalom obviously has Hebrew uh, origins right Um, it's this idea um, we picked up along the way of nothing broken nothing missing right it's this it it was this state of of comprehensive wholeness and well-being and um, we as a church community were captivated by that idea and seeing that realized amongst God's people even the most broken parts of our city Um, and so 
as I begin to dive deeper, um, I think there's some other things I want to clarify and pull out and highlight about shalom. Shalom, as I said before, is the idea is this. It's both an inner well-being and it is also, it is descriptive of the future state of the new Jerusalem. It is, the, it is the description of the future that God has for his people, a place where nothing truly is broken, nothing missing, no mourning, no crying. I did a funeral on a, a Friday. Um, and you know, you always comfort those people that if you put your faith in Jesus, what you are feeling now, will, you will never experience again won't shed no tears, there won't be regret. We won't have shame in the world that God is bringing to his people who believe on him in faith. Shalom is the idea that characterizes that. It's a new world marked by completeness, soundness, um, great welfare and peace. And as we look through the Jewish biblical literature in Corpus, we understand how it kind of plays itself out. It's a greeting, like shalom, shalom, brother, shalom, right? It's this idea when I come into a place, whether I'm coming or going, that I'm wishing this on you, this well-being, that this state of wholeness and completeness would be yours. I want that for you. And so when you see Paul, one, 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 you know, it's really important when we read the Bible, and we, especially when we get into the New Testament, we got to understand that that these people aren't coming from a 21st century background with Facebook and Instagram, that these people who are writing are actually coming from a Jewish background. And so what we see about this idea of shalom, Paul picks up in his letters, right? As a matter of fact, he says in 2 Thessalonians 3.16, now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times and in all ways. So what, what, what are you trying to say, Pastor? What I'm trying to say is the guy who's writing most of the New Testament to our Gentile audience is a Jewish dude with Jewish instincts, and he's thinking about comprehensive wholeness, shalom, in the same way that he was taught to think about it, and he's trying to pass it on to us. That he desires for us, for the God of shalom, to continue to give his people shalom at all times and in all ways, right? This is what he wants. So shalom is this both inner state of well-being, and it's the future state of well-being and completeness. But I would, you know, sometimes when we start defining the gospel, we just want to give a linear definition. What's the gospel? And we, 1 Corinthians 15, and we go all different kind of places. And then finally, some people who are smart amongst us, just like, oh, the gospel is Jesus. Amen. That works. Absolutely works. The good news is Jesus. And I want to kind of apply the same framework. Shalom is Jesus. Shalom is Jesus. It might have some more nuance than Jesus. You might be able to fluff it up, but at the core, Shalom is Jesus. And if we're not talking about Jesus, we ain't talking about Shalom. Ooh, amen, lights and walls. See, I done been around you long enough. All you good do-do-gooders and you altruistic people, you philanthropic people, and you see the world and you see suffering. Everybody wants to help people out. That don't make you different, Christian. A lot of people want to help people. That don't mean you're doing shalom. Because shalom is Jesus. After Jesus is resurrected, Luke 24 says he shows up and appears. He says, while they were telling these things, he himself stood in their midst. And what did he say? He said to them, peace be to you. I'm here. 
Hello, ladies and gentlemen. I'm here. Shalom is here. Shalom is Jesus. Amen, somebody. And so this year, as we start thinking about what it is we want to be about and get after, um, last week we, we kind of talked about what it means to be all in um, in, in, in this, this attitude that, that really, um, you know, there is, there is nothing, right? There's no really no in-between. Like, God is not an accessory. Like, he's the, the whole thing. Either he's God or he's good, but if he's good, he can't be your God. You understand what I'm saying? Like, the rich young ruler found out, yeah, you're a good man. Jesus is like, yo, I'm not interested in being a good man to you. I'm interested in being your God. And if I'm your God, that means you got to follow me. And if I'm your God, you got to rearrange some things. So we started talking about, hey, man, that's the, that's the spirit by which we want to approach um, our walk with Christ and our covenant membership here. So it's like, hey, man, let's go all in. Doesn't mean that we carry around the Bible all day. You got to go to Subway and start going, hey, Luke says, ma'am, do you want a foot long or do you want a hat? No, no, God says, it don't, don't mean you got to do that. It just means the orientation of your heart, right? My end goal is always God. The standard by which I do things is always God. My motivation and the joy of my heart, what I want to fill me is God. It's through Jesus, right? That's what it means to be all in. And so in this last kind of goal-setting, trajectory-setting message for um, the beginning of 2024, I want us to, 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 to see, to fill me on this, that I think I'm gonna start rebranding and kind of synthesizing some of even our core values around a greater intensification on shalom. Shalom in, shalom out, shalom together. That doesn't, it's not, I'm not kicking out uh, worship, witness, work, wed, and walk. I'm just, I'm putting them under another umbrella to make it even easier for us. That it's shalom in, it is shalom out, and shalom together, right? That's what we are about. Shalom in, shalom out, shalom together. And let's do a little bit of ecclesiology before we get started. Um, I think part of that came as I wanted to place a greater emphasis on shalom and truly what it means and making sure that we're not trying to do things without shalom. But also another part of it has come as I've really just kind of have developed a more robust understanding of what the church is, what it's construct of, constructed of, and what it's supposed to be doing. Everybody say ecclesiology. So there are um, a number of different, one of the things we say in our new membership class is that there are a number of different denominations and there are a number of different faithful expressions of Christianity, right? There's Anglican, there's Baptist, you know what I'm saying? There's Pentecostal, there's all kinds of faithful expressions of Christianity. We don't believe as Presbyterians that we have a stamp on how to faithfully do Christianity. You better say amen. Okay, that's just important for you to say amen right there. Now, I don't want you to deny your conscience. I'm a Presbyterian because I actually do believe that it's probably closest to what I believe is true in Scripture. But I am not a fool to think that it's the only faithful expression of Christianity. Don't get your feelings hurt, okay? That's not what we teach here or propagate. And as a matter of fact, if you've been at the avenue long enough, you could probably see that we're probably Presbyterian with a little P because there's a whole lot of things going on that you don't see at a lot of other Presbyterian churches, okay? You, you probably do notice that. You're like, what? 
I went to that Presbyterian church, and they were baptizing kids in a swimming pool outside. Isn't that crazy? You know what I'm saying? Like, I went to that Presbyterian church, and the mom started speaking in tongues. Like, what's going on, right? Okay, so it's a little loopy, right? We're not arrogant. But one of the coolest things, one of the coolest things that I learned last semester is that I think there across many different denominations, there are three things um, that, that um, most denominations really agree, like this is why the church exists. This is the purpose for God's ecclesia, right? His kahal, his, his assembly. This is the purpose of why they exist. Give you these three things and think they're important. I don't want you to forget them. The church of God exists for worship, it exists for edification, and it exists for missions. Worship, edification, missions. And I, and I think no matter where you go, you've got you a faithful church. If you could see a church being about those things, if they exist for the glory of God, right? First Peter 2, right? Hey, I've called you out. Hey, you, I called you people, this new nation, to proclaim the excellencies of the one who called you out of darkness, right? There's a proclamation. There's a living to. There is a reason for. There's a big telos. It's for God to get the glory in our whole life. That's a faithful church. A faithful church exists to edify, Ephesians 4, like God's given you this five-fold ministry so that the church can build itself up until it reaches maturity. There's always a striving, right, that, that God's people are to be surrounded by a collection of people like little matches, and they, they stir one another up to maturity so that they can keep glorifying the one, right? So a church exists to edify, and a church exists for missions, to go out that there's always something inside of our assembly that's trying to burst its way out, always. Whether it's sending people to Beirut or whether it's sending people right down the street, something inside this house is trying to get outside the house. Worship, edification, and mission. And so as I think about Shalom and Shalom and Shalom together, it's very much based on that principle too. The worship of God, the building up of his people, and the exporting of his goodness to those people. So, we have an expression of worship, edification, and mission. It's going to be shalom and shalom out, shalom together. And all I want to spend the rest of the time talking about today is the fact that truly everything hinges on shalom in. We ain't doing nothing else if we ain't doing the first part, shalom in. Amen, lights and walls. Amen. And I think Colossians 1 that Trey just read for us is just this really cool picture of how those things kind of work together. So um, Paul, uh, uh, Trey just read for us, this is one of Paul's dope prayers. He's got another one in Ephesians 1, I mean in Ephesians, I think the third chapter. Um, but this is one of Paul's prayers, and I think those, they're, they're just really informative. They're more than prayers, and I, I think we do well to kind of concentrate and look at it. But verse 9 says, for this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you, and we continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. I love this. Paul says, hey, man, from the day we heard that you even existed, that you were a part of this family, we have not stopped praying for you. Hey, the effective, fervent prayers of the righteous avail it much. Pray continually. Pray at all times. Hey, I hope that you are not... Uh, you don't have goals in 2024, especially for God. I know some of y'all trying to get your six-pack. 
I know some of y'all are trying, you know, get your degree, whatever you're trying to do, but your Christ-centered goals, even those goals, I pray that you don't have goals and you're not including matching your prayer life to your goals. I hope you don't have ministry goals and you're not including ramping up your prayer life. That don't make no sense. You can't have kingdom goals and you're not begging the king to do stuff. Come on, man. God, we want to see this happen in the ministry. Is your prayer life commiserate to your asking, to your goal life? Paul, I love this. You see, they said, we have not stopped praying. How many of y'all got things that you ain't stopped praying for? Man, I love this, man. I love this. I think I was talking to one of our elders who just told me, he was like, yeah, man, I pray for each and every one of my kids' spouses. I've been doing it since they were born. Kids in elementary school, but I love it. You know what he's going to have? The fruit of seeing answered prayer. He's going to stand up there one day at 19 or 22 whenever he get that baby off, and he's going to know that whoever's standing there is the direct result of his prayers to God. Are there any things you got on your prayer list that you're going to keep on there until you see it come to pass? Paul said, we, me and my homies, we continually ask about this, and we haven't stopped asking about this. Come on, man. Wish somebody get more determined in their prayer life. And it's a shared goal. It's not just a Paul thing. He says, we, we've heard about these people who've just come into the covenant family of Christ, and we haven't stopped praying for them, and we're not going to stop praying for them. And here's what we're praying for. We're praying that God would fill them with the knowledge of his will through all wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. Now, what, what I want us to understand is this, this knowledge is is absolutely important. There is a knowing that is absolutely fundamental to your life in God. There is a knowing that is absolutely pivotal to your life in thriving in God. But I want you to think just like Shalom, it's probably this definition is way more explosive than what you think it is. This is not just information transfer. It's not merely information transfer. It's not less than it, but it's so much more than it is what I'm trying to say. For us, this knowledge of God's will is both experience and Christ formation. Shalom in for us. You can circle it on your sheet. You can write it down because this is where we'll be leading you because we're praying the same thing. We're not going to stop praying that God fill you with his knowledge of his will through his spirit. And we think that that's primarily going to come, this shalom is coming by experience in Christ's formation. Let's talk about experience, this experiential knowledge, which the Hebrews would all, all talk about too. Like there's a knowing, and they're not talking about, hey, did you hear the information? But there's an intimate kind of knowing, even the kind that mommy and daddies do. There's an intimate knowing, an experiential knowing uh, that encompasses kind of the idea here too. And I think for us, as we start pushing you towards shalom in, we're going to start pushing you towards that experiential knowing. And where does that happen? Well, going back, Dan was uh, teaching us on Friday, and uh, he's, we were in his class of world Christianity, and he used to start talking about, man, when he gets on different places and different soil, and he's encountering other um, brothers and sisters from non-Western um, traditions of Christianity. 
He says, man, what's so funny is like, hey, when they start talking about movements and the things that they need to do and the things that they want to do, they're always like, okay, well, when are we going to pray? And he, Dan says, you already know, when they call a prayer meeting, it ain't uh, 45 minutes from 6 to 7 at Collegiate once a day. He said, on average, them prayer meetings go multiple hours. And it's not uncommon for them to pray all the way through the night. Because there's a kind of transfer that is happening that's so much more than somebody just teaching you. But there's a connecting. We talk about a divine communication network here at the Avenue. We want you to be more spiritually conversant. Because as you look at verse 9, we continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all wisdom and understanding. But where does it come? Where does the wisdom and understanding come? Now, mind you, this is Paul. He sent a letter out. If he wants them to learn more knowledge and understanding, why didn't he just send a follow-up letter? Right? Because he knows what the people of God need to thrive cannot be merely accomplished by just giving them more information. He said we are praying and we're, keep, we're continually praying because the Spirit's got to do a thing. The Spirit's got to do a thing. He's got to explode something. There is information and wisdom that are derived specifically from, from his person that he's got to bring. And we're going to push you more in prayer. We're going to keep creating more opportunities for you to pray, for you to be in the presence of God so that you can keep experiencing the Spirit in his presence. It, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm just being honest with you. I'm just being honest with you. I'm just telling you that I'm just trying to give you the freedom to be like, oh, y'all pastor that went on the whack end, you know. Amen. I just want to give you the liberty to check out now. This is good. This is good. I just want to be honest with you that I got my money on the spirit. I don't have the, my money on my teaching ministry. And some of y'all are great teachers. And I'm just saying, I still, I wouldn't bet on you. I'm betting on the spirit. We need to create more space where you can experience the Spirit so He can do His thing. But here's the caveat. Here's the great divide. There's some of us, I remember Sam preaching this when he was preaching 1 Corinthians 13. The feelers, the thinkers, all that. Wasn't that right, Sambo? Like some of the, we try to draw that false dichotomy in there. That you know what? You know, being a Christian and thriving in Christianity, it really is about... You don't need all the knowledge. You just need to feel it. I rebuke that in the name of Jesus. You feelers, you cannot build a church out of just feelers and no information. That's not Christianity. So let me stop you right now. What are you worshiping? I don't know, but it just feels so good. But you knowledge people, you can't just build. We've seen churches built. All they do is just pass on teaching. Just fat cats. They'll beat you in the Bible trivia, but they ain't got no power in their ministry. Got a whole lot of cum laude and no conversions. 
Let's call it what it is. We need both. Faith is not opposed to reason. And I think there's plenty of evidence in this passage that leads you to believe that when the shalom comes in, it, it heightens both. It increases your spiritual sensitivity and it sharpens your intellectual ability too. It does. It brings both. And we want both. We want you to experience Christ more, more prayer, more worship, more space. You know what I was so encouraged by when we prayed and fasted uh, 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 a week or two ago? It's just like, man, it was so sad. I'm just, this is confession from my own. I was getting downloaded all day. I had a whole bunch of little notes and look, because you know what was finally happening? I designated a day to pray the whole day. And you know what God did that day? He met me the whole day. How about that? I was so ashamed. I literally was like, man, I feel so connected today. What's happening? I gave God space. And I expected him to be there with me. And he didn't disappoint me. We're just going to do more of it. We're going to do more of it this year, and I want you to join in. We're also going to put greater emphasis on the formation part, the Christ formation. What I love, uh, we were in one of our elder meetings, Galatians 4.19. Paul says, I, I travail, right, to see Christ formed in you. When you go to the end of Colossians 1, one of my pastoral scriptures is Paul labors, strives with everything in him to present God's people more mature because everybody knows the more you know about Jesus, the more you can thrive in him. Paul in the apostolic ministry, they knew that we have to have these people know more about God and his will. Because their whole, all of Shalom hinges on them being able to experience him and to be more formed in him. Pastor, what are you talking about when you talk about knowledge? I'll just say this, just three ideas. God, his ways, and his plan. So what are you talking about? How, what does it mean to know God? I think it means to truly know his ways, like how he has designed his world to work and to flourish, his behavior, how he wants image bearers to move in the world, knowing his ways, knowing his plan. Like the, the whole Bible is about a rescue mission, God saving purposes for his world, knowing that intimately it affects how you live, and then knowing him himself personally. I think that's when you're talking about knowing God, and that's what we want. We want to work hard so that you can know God experientially and to be formed into his person. And I think, to sum it up, for us, Christ formation is about helping you and helping all of us to cultivate a deep spiritual life that is evident by fruit. Our staff spent time with a, um, a consultant this week. He said, you know what? Y'all could either produce, you need to make sure you understand the difference. That as a staff, you can work and you could provide the system and organization to make good churchgoers, but just because you're making good churchgoers doesn't mean you're making disciples. Yeah. I was like, uh-oh. And you know what, in five years, I think I've learned, even as a pastor, 
I'm not gifted to make good churchgoers. It's just not, that ain't how I'm wired, ain't how I think. I don't, it's just not, nope. Nor am I interested in it. But we can make good disciples. It looks a lot different. I feel like we'll feel that tension sometimes, but it's much more of what we're after because disciples have shalom in. Sure, being filled with the knowledge of God, his ways and his plan, that's you experiencing shalom. You being filled with his knowledge is you intaking shalom. It's bringing shalom in. And when you experience shalom, shalom produces shalom, and shalom can go out. It's a lot of shaloms in there, right? But you being filled with the knowledge of God is you intaking shalom, and it produces shalom, and when you produce shalom, shalom goes out. Paul says, I want you to be filled with the knowledge of his will through all wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. Verse 10, everybody, what's the first two words of verse 10? You see it? What does it say? What's it say? What's it say? What's it say? What's it say? I want you to be filled so that. There's a reason why we gather. There's a reason why we create the experiences and we are creating the space and we're trying to teach you faithfully and why we come to the middle of worship in an ice storm and snow. Why? So that. There's a reason, y'all, and we got to keep that before us because guess what? I believe that the end, we got two things working against us. You got Western Christianity who is tired of the organized church. They're just over it, and they think we are really foolish for what we do. They don't think we make impact. They think we're bigots. They think we just major in ideals that inflame other people, and we're not really nice people. We're very more That's what people think about the church, and they're trying to convince us, hey, man, you don't need the organized, gathered church anymore because they don't do nothing. And I think internally, the devil's always trying to wrestle with us. Does my gathering even matter? Am I going to be missed? Is this sermon going to do anything that's going to change my life? Whoa! You need to know, people of God, you are under assault all the time, from within and from without. And we have to remind ourselves that what we do matters, man. Our intake and our experience, us getting, us measuring on getting shalom inside of us, it matters so much to what we do. Paul says, I'm praying all this so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord. Paul says this again in Ephesians 4, this idea of, hey, that, that we need to live up to what we've been called into. Like, hey, you know what? You're a Skipworth, and a Skipworth means something, and you need to live into that name that got passed down to you. I see Douglas and me and he elbowing his kids like, get it. Being a child of God is not just your insurance plan. It's not just a comfort for you on hard days. But being a child of God means you got to live into something. Paul's not afraid to say it either. He's like, man, listen, that's great. You're a child of God. He splits the seas. You can walk straight through it. And he comforts you on those rainy days. But let me just tell you, there's also a demand to salvation too. There's some responsibility And I want you to live into it. Our faith is not a passive faith. But 
N.T. Wright says, our, our Father, our God is at work, therefore his people are at work. Our Father's at work, his people at work. I told my son, get up. We gotta go shovel some ice at the church. I'm getting ready to get up. Guess what, my boy? You getting up. Because it's what we do. And the boy put on some Crocs to go shovel ice in the snow. <laughs> Lord, have mercy. <laughs> Paul is tapping into, he's, he's, he's sealing our Bible together. He's tapping into this creation kind of narrative, right? Paul writes those very famous passages in 2 Corinthians 5 about us being a new creation. And so you do realize that when Jesus Christ, 1 Corinthians lets us know when Christ came, the second Adam, he's remaking creation. And now he's calling us to live into something different. And so N.T. Wright says that Paul is asking the Colossians that they may understand themselves more and more to be God's new, true humanity, and that they may increasingly live in a manner appropriate to the vocation, that they would have good works. Ephesians 2, Paul says, you've been created for good works so that you should do them. Do them! Because you're new now. You need not to be, I told y'all, we got to do some work on your soteriology because I know all them good work stuff is making you making you nervous. I'm saved by grace. I'm saved by grace. I'm just saying. <laughs> you know that good works is a biblical assurance of your salvation? Absolutely, friend. Go to Ligonier Ministry. All the faithful Presbyterians would affirm it. One of the ways that we can know that his life is in us, that shalom has really gone in, is that we see the good works that we were created for. Come on, don't be afraid of that. He says, I want you to live a life worthy of the Lord so that you could please him in every way. Do you realize, children of God, that you can, listen, in a way, you'll never, I'll never be more loved than I am right now. That's true. And there are definitely some days where you're pleasing God less and you're pleasing him more. Don't struggle with that. He loves you even though you're doing what you're doing, just like any good parent in here loves their children regardless of what they do. And then there are some days where them kids ain't pleasing. Mm-mm, mm-mm. Baby, I love you, but you was wrong. Just tighten it up. Paul urges them, live a life worthy of the Lord. You can please him. Those united by God in faith can please him. And what this forms for us is just a miniature picture of our Christian life and growth. Being filled with the Spirit's knowledge, shalom in, results in growth, and growth means fruit. Being filled with the Spirit's knowledge results in growth, and growth means fruit. Fruit means shalom out. N.T. Wright goes on to say that Paul prays that they would increase in the knowledge of God's will with the result that the Colossians would live as God wants them to and so increase in the knowledge of God. It's this idea that understanding knowledge, experiential knowledge, Christ formation will fuel holiness and holiness will deepen your understanding. So it's almost like you got knowledge on both the ends. So it's like, hey, I pray that you would be filled with knowledge so that you're going to bear fruit and you're going to walk in a manner that's pleasing to God and you're going to have all these things so that you would have more knowledge. It's like, man, it's just, you know, some people every Easter is like, man, you know what, what's Pastor going to preach about? 
the death, burial, and resurrection. <laughs> Man, we heard that for three decades. And I remember kind of at one point in my Christianity, I was like, man, you know, should I do something different? Like, it's got to be something different. But those of us who've been around know that the old stuff never gets old. It just gets deeper and richer. You know, as you are filled experientially with, with more of God's word, more connection with the spirit, it only leaves you yearning for more of it. You have more and then you want more. And that's where we're headed. It's inexhaustible. God's filling produces things. And I think for us, it's just important for us to realize why this is so important. Why is shalom so very, very important? Let's just go back to the sequence. So I pray that you're filled, verse 10, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience. Those of you all who are great at inductive Bible study, you like your list, what a list. What a stinking list. If there is ever a list that you want to get tattooed, I, I, I got 20 on it. <laughs> Holla at me. Just get somebody like Tucker to draw it or Emma, you know what I'm saying? But I'll put 20 on it. You know, if you want to get for Colossians 1, I'll put 20 on it. But who doesn't want this list? Come on, is there anybody who doesn't want to be strengthened to grow into knowledge, bearing fruit? think sometimes just want to be clear as a church I know I gather people's like man I want to do a thing in a community and we all we all want to see the heights in Berclair and Nutbush and uh, High Point Terrace and 3811 we, we all want to see our section of Memphis thrive because there's a church here but we gotta make sure we identify the primary problem and the primary solution. We all want to see the places where we live and do life thrive. But in order to do it, we have to make sure we have rightly identified the right problem and the right solution. Les, I heard this weekend, we could be and we could be providing great answers to questions people aren't asking. Or we could provide great answers and we could be leaving off the table the thing that people need the most. A friend of mine said, yeah, man, I grew up in the Midwest and we were poorer than a joke. But I can honestly look back at my life and tell you that the things that my family most needed were not necessarily gonna be solved by more money. I believe James, absolutely true. That man, we not gonna sit up here and preach to you if you hadn't eaten and if you're cold. There's just practical things that in order for us to get shalom into you, we need to be able to take care of. 
but American Christian. There are things that most all of the world needs that cannot be solved by just giving them more money. Do you actually believe that? That the greatest thing people need, we have. That's tough. But that's what we believe. That the shalom we receive is the best export we could give. Shalom in, shalom out. Here's where we'll close it up. Verse 11, we pray that we'll be strengthened with all power according to God's glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience. Anybody need endurance? Anybody need patience? N.T. Wright says, endurance and patience, there's a difference in those words. He says that, you know, endurance is, is primarily about what shalom brings to impossible situations. Patience is what shalom brings to impossible people. <laughs> he, said, he, said, he says, endurance is primarily speaking about what shalom brings to impossible situations. He says that Patience is more about what shalom brings to impossible people. And don't we need both? We need patience. We need supernatural patience. And we need supernatural endurance. And I think what, what Paul is doing is, once again, he's sobering us. First of all, life is just hard, bro. Yeah. Period. I don't care what part of Memphis or what part of the country you're in, life is hard. And then he doubles down. I think life in Christ is harder, maybe. It's hard, baby. You will need patience and endurance. Now you tell me the 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 white rich dude in East Memphis and the young Hispanic kid in Nutbush, what do they both need, yo? They need shalom. I don't know if their cyclical poverty will change, but I can sure tell you if you had shalom, oh, your life would change. We have it. We have it, yo. And we got to give it. And here's the awesome thing. God says, I'm going to strengthen you with power according to my glorious might. I just want to get you get this picture in your head. Once again, Paul is a Jewish theologian rabbi, right? That's how he was trained. So when he's starting to think about uh, God's power, he's not thinking about like, oh, I'm just going to pray for you. You know, my dad used to call it the hope hand. He'd be like, you know, hey, brother, I hope things work out for you, Les. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's just kind of like a, I don't really know, but I hope. Praying for you, sister. You know what? Paul grew up at his dinner tables, the stories he heard about God's power getting on a teenage boy and empowering a pebble to knock out a 10-foot giant. See, that's what Paul heard at the dinner table. You know what Paul grew up hearing about? You know, I've been hearing about stories about God causing 
bushes to just all of a sudden burst into flames and God's speaking from it, God's power. You know what I'm saying? He grew up hearing about Elijah and Mount Carmel and all of a sudden Elijah making fools out of the other gods and dousing the, uh, the altar in water and then all of a sudden the thing bursting forth in the flames. That's what he's thinking about God's power. He's thinking about his people and their whole lineage standing in front of a billion gallon sea and then all of a sudden that thing splits and his people walk across to safety. So when Paul is thinking about power, he ain't thinking about hope hand and when Paul writes this verse that according to God's power that he's able to strengthen his people with supernatural endurance and patience what he's thinking is the same God who split the sea will be able to endow his people with supernatural patience and supernatural joy and supernatural peace that same God that same God will not fail his people. You might not be standing in front of the Mediterranean Sea, but I know you're standing in front of childlessness. I know you're standing in front of joblessness. I know you're standing in front of hard marriages. I know you're standing in front of difficult decisions in your life, but you need to know that God with that same power That's his promise to you. That's his promise to all of his people who have chosen him by faith. I will not fail to supply you with the things you need to live victoriously in this world. No matter your circumstances, I will not spare anything in the vault of heaven to endow you with the things you need to keep moving forward. Do you believe it, child of God? This is why it's so important to get the shalom in. We gotta get it in. Because it's the only way we can live confidently in this world. So how are you working towards shalom? Are you praying for it? Are you like Paul and the apostles? I haven't stopped praying. Some of y'all, you got anxious accountability partners. Have we stopped praying continuously, asking that God would not just take their anxiety away, but God fill them with the knowledge of your will. Help them to experience you, God. Help them to set time, uh, set apart time to be with you and to be formed by your scriptures, God, so they can get the shalom man, God. Where are you making space in your life to experience shalom? You got your whole life on autopilot. We, we rebuked that last week, trying to optimize Christianity. It just don't work. Either you're gonna build your whole life around your faith or your faith will whittle. It will always teeter and tatter like a seesaw. Where are you making space to experience it? Are you taking a step of faith? It's like, hey man, I heard they pray over here. I heard there's a designated time to worship and I'm just gonna go whether I feel it or not. I know that I'm creating another access point for me to connect with the spirit. Where are you being formed? Like I know, you know what? For 52 weeks, I'm gonna sit under this teaching not just what I hear on Sundays but I'm gonna spend time with these people internalizing God's word so I can get shalom in so that shalom can go out.